God, may the words of my lips and the meditations of each and every one of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. For you, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We are back in the Gospel of Luke this week, and we are continuing with our Lenten theme of being centered. It seems somewhat appropriate that we are in Luke 13 this week because it falls about halfway through the Gospel of Luke, and we are just at about the halfway point of the season of Lent. We have spent the first part of this season talking about what it means to be centered. We have this lovely image of a circle, and we have been talking about the different parts of a circle, maybe taking you to the recesses of your mind to remember some elementary school math definitions, and we are encouraging each other to think about where we each fall in this circle. We have been reminded that we can stand at the very outer edge of the circle and still technically be a part of it, but that is not where we are called to be as followers of Christ. We are called to be at the center of the circle, where we are closest to God and most in tune for God's will and hope for our life. And so this week we are back with Jesus, journeying with him and his disciples and looking at the ways that he shows us how we should live from the center of our lives and not be swayed by what other people think or say about us. So let's jump back into our passage for today and see if there's something that we can take from it. Beginning in verse 31 of chapter 13. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Now, it might be helpful to put this into some context. Jesus is out in the countryside of Galilee teaching and preaching and performing miracles. From back in Luke chapter 4 all the way through Luke chapter 19 until Jesus ends Jerusalem on a donkey, Jesus is moving all over the place. He covers a lot of ground and his actions and his movement aren't going unnoticed. The Pharisees were constantly appearing where Jesus was and they were trying to trip him up and to get himself in trouble. Even Herod, the Tetrarch of Galilee, is paying attention. And for the most part, the Pharisees were known to be Herod's spies, reporting back to him the things that Jesus was doing and teaching, even though they were supposed to be above all of that nonsense. So when the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say to him, get out of Galilee because Herod wants to kill you, Jesus would be very aware that something suspicious was going on. Why would this group of people who were trying to turn everyone against him suddenly have his best interests at heart? I guess it is possible that these particular Pharisees weren't in Herod's back pocket and they were actually looking out for Jesus. But it is more likely that Herod knew that if he had Jesus killed, that there would be this uprising and a revolt in the part of the world that he was in charge of, and he probably would not be able to control it. And so he was trying to trick Jesus into returning to Jerusalem, where the Romans were in control, and he was trying to trick Jesus to go there so that the Romans would be the ones that would kill Jesus instead. 
But Jesus is smarter than the Pharisees, and he doesn't fall for it. He hears what the Pharisees have to say and responds with this in verse 32. Go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will finish my work. And it's also impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jesus essentially tells the Pharisees to tell Herod that he's too busy to die today or tomorrow, and even if he was going to die, this isn't his preferred location for where that should happen. Sometimes I really appreciate Jesus's snark and the ways that he doesn't put up with any foolishness and gets right to the point. So let's pause here. I wonder if we have ever really thought about everything that Jesus had to manage and organize and try to lead and take control of. He has the disciples with him, and at every opportunity, he is trying to do what he can to teach them about the mission that he and God have for the world. Already twice in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has told the disciples how this journey will end. But the disciples haven't wrapped their mind around that yet. They aren't understanding that the reason he is trying to do so much in so little time is because time is the one thing that he does not have. Instead of living in the moment and taking in everything that Jesus is saying and teaching and doing, the disciples are too busy having petty arguments about who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They always seem to be trying to send crowds of people away so that they can have time with Jesus, just their inner circle, which might be great if they were trying to learn everything they can from Jesus when they have their time with him. But I wonder if instead the disciples are sending away the crowds so that the crowds will see them walking away with Jesus and will know that they, the disciples, are greater than those that have been sent away. And when Jesus does return to be with the crowds of people, the disciples are still trying to be the gatekeepers of who can come near Jesus. Throughout the Gospels, we hear of them trying to keep certain sick and hurting people away from Jesus or turning children away, trying to make sure that no one can come close to Jesus unless they, the disciples, deem that that person or that group is worthy. All of the time, they are offering their opinions to Jesus, and more often than not, the opinions that the disciples have don't necessarily line up with the bigger vision that Jesus and God have for the world. So when the Pharisees come to Jesus and offer him yet one more opinion of what they think he should do, there's no wonder that he responds with a bit of an attitude. I can imagine that Jesus is sick and tired of people thinking that they know what is best for him and his ministry. It's not like he's just choosing to go to this village because they have the best restaurant or that village because their straw is the most comfortable to sleep on. He's not trying to get every stamp in his passport and fill it up to show how much of a traveler he is. Jesus has an intentionality behind his actions and his movements, and he is sure and confident in where he is going and what he is doing because he is sure and confident in the God that has given him this mission. And while Jesus has the advantage of being the human embodiment of God, and I'm pretty sure he had an open line of communication with God anytime he wanted it, I'm sure that all of these opinions that others are giving him and all of the voices that are coming his way at any given moment take an incredible amount of focus 
and centering for him to stay in tune with the voice of God in the midst of the noise all around him. This weekend, some of our youth are finally getting a chance to attend their first overnight trip in over two years with our church. They are actually on their way back from CBF Virginia's Youth Summit in Williamsburg, and they gathered with 11 other churches and about 200 other youth from across the state. Their theme for this weekend is dwell, and they have spent time in worship and breakout sessions and in conversations with one another, talking about the ways that they can dwell within themselves and dwell with others and dwell with God. Originally, this retreat was supposed to happen back in January, but because COVID numbers were so high, it got postponed to this weekend. And while I know that if the retreat had happened two months ago, it would have been timely and fantastic and just as meaningful as it was this weekend, I personally am glad that it happened this weekend and in this moment. I took half of our group down to Williamsburg on Friday night, and then our other two chaperones arrived early yesterday morning with the other half of the group. Now, I will admit that on Thursday afternoon, as I was looking at my very long to-do list that still had many things on it that hadn't been checked off, I was feeling a little overwhelmed by what was left to accomplish this week, and I began to question whether or not I made the right decision to agree to spend half of my week on a retreat in another city instead of checking everything else on my list and staying here. But Friday afternoon, I picked up three youth in my car and we drove to Williamsburg with a quick pit stop in Richmond at the Galaxy Diner and we arrived at the retreat. And our car ride was filled with laughter and singing and the special kind of foolishness that comes with youth road trips. And then when we arrived at the retreat, I realized that this is exactly the place I was supposed to be in this moment. From the first worship service, we were challenged by the speaker for the weekend to lay everything that we were bringing with us aside and to just sit and be present and to dwell with God. We were reminded of the words from Psalm 84 that say, How lovely is the place where you dwell, O God. My soul longs to be in the place where you are. Over the course of this weekend, youth were given the space just to be. And I will tell you that after spending three hours in the car with these teenagers and hearing them share about their week and getting a glimpse into what they face every day, I learned something, and I'm going to let you in on the secret. Being a teenager is hard, y'all. I mean, it's always hard to be a teenager. Whether you were a teenager 10 years ago or 50 years ago or 70 years ago, it's never easy to be a teenager. But right now, with technology and the ways that words are hurled at each other without a a second thought, and the opinions that people have of you and who you are as a person, being a teenager in 2022 is a hard and scary place to be more often than not. So for our youth to be able to go away for a weekend and to gather together with teenagers who are all dealing with the same kind of pressures and who are longing for ways to fit in and to be accepted, and for them to hear from the moment they walked into the sanctuary, no matter who you are and what you are bringing to this space this weekend, your only job is to sit 
and to make space to be present with yourself and with God. And this is a true gift. And it is something that all of us, I think, from children to senior adults need to do more often. It is something that we as a church need to create space for more regularly. The opportunity to sit and to spend time with the God who not only creates a place for us to come close to God, but to be in that space with a God who longs for us to be there as often as we can. Each time when we come close to God, we discover that there's this thin place where the separation between heaven and earth almost disappears. And we are able to encounter the divine in different and holy ways. And the thing is that the more time we spend centering our lives and our hearts on God, the more regularly we encounter these thin spaces and the easier it is for us to find ourselves at the center, at the place where our actions and hopes and longings of each of our hearts are beating in rhythm with the actions and longings and hopes that create the heartbeat of God. I know this isn't an easy thing to try and practice or to live out. Even Jesus was constantly being pulled between the way the world thought that he should be living and acting and doing and the way that God had called him to live. And if it wasn't easy for the Son of God, it sure isn't going to be easy for any of us who are gathered in this space today. But that's the beauty of being a part of a community of faith and sharing life with one another. We have a place where we can come and dwell with God and be open to the ways God is speaking to us. And I know this is easy to do on Sunday morning when we're all gathered in this space and we're singing the same hymns and hearing the same prayers and are gathered with the same purpose. But it's once we walk out the doors and into the world where the real work begins. It takes practice and intentionality and finding ways to remind ourselves that we too must be on our way when the world wants to pull us in a direction that is different from the direction that God is sending us. We must do all we can to be in tune with the heartbeat of God and to, allowing, to allow our own hearts to match up with that heartbeat. And when our heart is beating the same rhythm as that God, we find ourselves truly back at the center. One last word of challenge for us this morning. I do think that it is very fitting that on this first Sunday after Pastor Barrett's last Sunday, we are talking about centering ourselves from others. Mamie Barrett knew weeks ago when he was laying out the scripture passages for this sermon series that this is the exact passage we would need to hear this week. Or maybe he didn't, but I think the Holy Spirit knew this is what we needed to hear. She tends to know things well before we know ourselves, and she tends to move in quiet ways, revealing things to us that we are not yet aware of. But as we are heading into this season of transition, I do feel like our focus theme for today is exactly what we needed to hear, and that our theme for Lent is more relevant now than ever. As we are beginning this next chapter in the life of our congregation, I want to offer this challenge to each of us. I would like for you to find a regular time in the rhythm of your life, and I would like for you to commit to sit and center your heart and your mind on God. 
This rhythm and this space will look different for each of us, as it should. For some of us, this will become a daily practice that we will add to our regular rhythms and routines, and we will carve out time to sit and talk to God and to listen for what God is saying to us. For others, it might only be possible for us to create this intentional space once a week, and that is okay, too. Maybe you need this time to happen early in the morning as soon as you wake up before your day gets started. Or maybe you are not a morning person like me and this time would be better used and more effective if you wait till the afternoon after your second cup of coffee for the day and you are a little more awake. Maybe you need to sit still in a straight-backed chair with your feet firmly on the ground. Or maybe you need to take a walk outside and surround yourself with nature. Whatever this rhythm looks like for you, I do hope that you will find time at least once a week during this season of transition where you center your heart and your thoughts on God and you ask yourself what God is saying to you. And if you don't know how to begin this time, maybe simply start with this. Speak clearly, God. What do you need me to hear? And you might not hear anything the first or second or third time you say this to God, but keep asking the question. Speak clearly, God, what do you need me to hear? My hope in prayer is that as we, as a congregation, are taking time in our individual lives to ask this question, God will share answers with us as individuals. But I also hope that as a congregation, we will collectively be asking this question. Speak clearly, God, what do you need us to hear? I am confident that as we individually become more in tune with God's answer, that we as a community will become increasingly aware of the ways that God is speaking clearly to us and showing us how we can be a community of faith that is centered fully and wholeheartedly on God and that the heartbeat of this congregation that guides us will sync up with the heartbeat of God. So friends, let's get to work and let's get centered.